We're talking about communion today. We're in the middle of a series called This I Believe. And what our goal, what our hope for the series This I Believe is, is that we'll examine some of the fundamental things about this Christian faith and go, oh, that's why we think that. That's why I believe that. Maybe you've never asked those questions. Maybe you kind of just took it as face value. That's what mama said we're going to do. And that's why we do it. I have no idea why, but I do it that way. <clears throat> so we're really examining some of the, uh, the, the foundational pillars of faith and looking at them and going, oh, that's why that is the way it is. And so uh, if you have missed some of our other messages, you're not behind or anything like that. Each one of these messages, a standalone message, is just all in this idea of this is what I believe. However, there's some uh, pretty... Uh, weighty messages in there. Uh, one about the Bible in particular, you kind of need to listen to like three or four times because <clears throat> I put a lot of information in that 40 minutes. Uh, so um, feel free to download our podcast. Um, I don't usually plug my own uh, stuff, but that Bible one has a lot, a lot of good stuff in it that I would encourage you to to uh, listen to. Um, and all of these are just really good and kind of grasping on the fundamentals of faith. All right. The culminating sentence that pulls us all together and why we're doing this series is this. What we believe dictates how we act and how we act dictates how others see us. What we believe dictates how we act and how we act dictates how others see us. In a world where assumptions are made of Christians all the time, in a world in which uh, people just take for granted certain things, or like, oh, you're a Christian, you, you, you vote this way, you act this way, you do this. I am feel compelled as a leader of a congregation to say, this is who we are, this is what we believe, and this is why we act the way we do, why we're going to be different, and why we should be acting maybe differently than we already do. And so the whole impetus on this, on this series was to try to break down why do we believe what we believe? And how does that affect how we live our lives? Because it's important. What we believe dictates how we act, and how we act dictates how others see us. At the end of these messages, I don't necessarily... um, My goal is not for you to agree 100% with me. That's not the goal. But I want you to know why you believe what you believe, and under the confines of Jesus is the, <laughs> the way to heaven, um, I'm, I'm pretty good with a lot of different uh, variety. But um, I, I want you to know why you believe uh, what you believe and how to maybe to make some decisions and maybe to bump up against stuff. Because this is what Jesus does all the time throughout the scripture is he sees people who believe different things and then he makes them ask really hard questions of themselves. And he pokes his finger into really awkward places and makes them go, ooh. Maybe even people he agrees with. He just kind of, what do you think about that? Um, He's a great question asker. And as we delve into these fundamental issues of Christianity, maybe they're questions we've just avoided, or we're like, I don't know about end times, so I'm never going to ask questions about end times. Well, let's start talking about it. Just so we're informed. So when you're friends, people that you know, we're not taking all the theology that we get from the walking dead We're taking our theology from Scripture and from Jesus. I feel like one of those is a more credible source than the other, right? But when there's a vacuum of knowledge, when there's a vacuum of theology, we will fill it with something. We will fill it with comic book stuff, with with whatever 
um, the TV told us. We'll fill it with things, um, but I want to fill that void with Scripture. You with me? Okay, Luke chapter 22. We're going to deal with communion or Eucharist. If you grew up Catholic today, which many of us have uh, Catholic roots uh, in this area, this is going to be a kind of an interesting talk. I want, before we get in there, I want to uh, please hear my heart. I'm going to say the things I have to say today with the utmost respect for the Catholic uh, faith and try to do the most service I can as someone who's never been Catholic uh, to understanding Catholic communion and why that's a little different actually a lot different than the way we practice communion, okay? But maybe if you grew up Catholic and you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm just here, and there's some guy, and then we did a thing, and I kneeled, and I sat, and I did something, and you're like, I don't know what's going on, I hope maybe today you're going to go, huh, that's why we did that? I wish someone would have told me that years ago, okay? That's my goal. Um, I was finding stuff out. I read the riveting reading. I read the catechism, part of the catechism last night. Woo! Um, then I fell asleep. No, uh, but I read the I read part of the catechism because I was like, "This is interesting. This is interesting. Oh, this makes so much more sense." Um, but I've never been Catholic. wasn't grown uh, Didn't grow up in a Catholic home. I know many of you guys did. Uh, many of you still you know, have brothers and sisters who are Catholic or and all that stuff. So I want you to kind of go. Oh, maybe I could understand and have a little bit more common ground here in that. Um, so that's kind of my hope today. I'm de- definitely dealing with. The way in which short Church of God takes communion and the way in which uh, a Catholic church takes communion and the differences. And there, there are big ones, but we can find some similarities here today as well. I'm not going to be dealing with all the things that are in between because this would be a long sermon series um, of, of all the different ways in which um, communion and the theology behind communion is, is done. So there you go. Please, if you have a question of, wow, that sounded disrespectful to the Catholic church. I hope that you would say, well, Jared said he's trying to be as, most, as respectful as he possibly can with all the love and admiration that, that, that he has. So err on that side. Give me the benefit of the doubt. If I say something, please correct me. Not in the middle of my message, but correct me at some other time. Um, that is wrong because I, I, I really am speaking out of, of a place where I've, I've read the catechism. I had some history um, of the church classes and, and things like that, but I have never been uh, Catholic. So there's that. Luke 22, where does communion come from? Where does the whole idea come from? Here it is, Luke chapter 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it, until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, this is the basis of of Jesus doing the first kind of communion as we know it, as we understand it. And why, you know, we'll, we'll read this scripture right before we take communion, um, and we kind of go along our day. Now here at this church, we practice communion once a month on the first Sunday of the month. 
Um, there's nothing magical about that. That's just how we do it. A Catholic church will take communion all the time. And we'll take, uh, we'll talk about that more. If you go to a funeral, you go to, uh, most weddings, you go anytime you take communion, take communion, take communion, take communion, because that is actually the main thing of being in a, in a service, in a mass of a Catholic church, which is a beautiful idea to think about this. That you, you step into this idea of, I'm going to step into what Jesus did, this remembrance. Mass actually means, it comes from the word mission, to be sent on mission. And so you take, uh, you go to, you take you, the Eucharist, you take the, the, the body and the blood of Christ to be cleansed, to go be sent on mission. Now think about that. That's really cool. Now we lose that because we've been doing it for 2,000 years. Right, you lose the the importance of all that. You're like, okay, yep, yep, okay, we'll do the thing and go. And I'm more worried about the cup being turned, somebody, you know, whatever, um, than I am t- worried about the other stuff. What's going on? But what it really is about is, I want you to take communion because I want you to be sent on mission. That's where that comes from. That's where the whole word mass we call it a church service, which puts the idea on the service. But the idea of a mass is pretty beautiful to be thinking that the very terminology being used there is to be sent. Does that make sense? You, maybe you learned something there. Uh, brains all over. Uh, so it's fun. But where does this idea of communion come from? You'll notice in the text in Luke 22, Jesus is talking about Passover. At its very root, everything about communion is actually about the Passover. You cannot separate the two, and we have. Okay, we have completely separated communion and who and what Jesus does on the cross and in, in the Last Supper from Passover. This is a Protestant Christian problem, even a Catholic Christian problem, that we've separated it from Passover. A Messianic Jew would go, "What are you doing?" But we've separated it because Jesus is the main thing for us. This is a huge, 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 huge problem. Because Jesus never would have thought, oh, uh, we're, we're separating the two. It's a celebration of the Passover. What does that mean? Well, in Exodus 12, the Passover is the pivotal point in all of Judaism. It's this idea, it's this, this happening. It's not an idea, it's this, this real life happening of where God rescues his people from slavery. He rescues his people out of bondage. And the, the, what happens that night and why people celebrate the Passover is because of that. Now Jesus takes it on as the new covenant, as the new Passover himself. So he is re- becoming the representative of this huge formative event that happened thousands of years ago, even prior to Jesus. Let's take that a little deeper. Okay, Maybe you're like, what is he talking about? In Exodus chapter 12, It's kind of gruesome here what's going on. But what happens is God says to Moses, they've been going back and forth with all these plagues. Maybe you watch some Charlton Heston. Maybe you watch the uh, the animated classic. Um, You know what I'm talking about. But they've been going back and forth with all these different plagues. And finally, it's been building up, building up, building up, building up, building up. And and God tells Moses, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to kill the firstborn of every family, of every firstborn bull, every firstborn sheep, Every firstborn duck, they're all dying. Every firstborn male in the, in the families, they're all going to die tonight. What's going to spare you is you're going to take a sacrificial lamb, you're going to drain it of all its blood, you're going to put some of that blood on the doorpost of your house. When the angel of death comes down, 
You're going to eat that. Uh, you're going to eat that lamb um, as a preparation for this for this flight. But what's going to happen is when you put that blood on the doorpost of your house, the angel of death is going to come on, come down and pass over. The real creative in the name of Passover, right? The angel of death is going to pass over your house, and you will be spared. Can you imagine the cacophony? Ooh, that's a fun word. The, the, the screaming, the wailing, of, the baying of, if you've ever heard an animal lose its firstborn, like a, like a mama cow when it's separated from a, a baby a steer. I lived on a farm uh, for about six months. The whole idea of cows crying was foreign to me and very, very exciting. Uh, so, but you have these huge beasts going all over the place. What is going on? You, from the cows, from the, everything just screaming to the mamas losing their sons, screaming out that night. And in every scream, in every cry, it's redemption. And so Jesus, or God, in this moment is saying, I, I'm buying you guys. I'm bringing you out of a slavery for 500 years. And so the Jewish people get together every year at Passover and celebrate that. And they drank cups of wine and they broke unleavened bread and ate it in remembrance of that night that they were spared and saved and brought out of slavery. And so I hope to paint you a picture of when we engage into communion, when Jesus is setting us a new covenant, a new kind of, kind of uh, communion, he wants you to see and hear and feel and taste the redemption, the, pass, the very first Passover of the people being brought out of slavery. Because what communion is and what Jesus is about to do on the cross after the Last Supper is pay and be that sacrificial lamb where his blood will pay for everyone else so that they can step out of bondage, which is what we're participating in. When we take communion, we are remembering and participating in being set free from the slavery of our past, of our junk, of our sin. Does this make sense? Okay. I missed that for years. I was an ordained pastor and I did not get that. Okay. I did not understand the connections between Passover because we, we, we just blow past that. We keep the Old Testament in the old. We keep the New Testament in the new and never the twain shall meet. This is a problem. Because Jesus knew, and the disciples, and Paul, all of them knew the Old Testament intimately. And when they refer to the Scripture, they're not referring to stuff they're writing themselves. They're referring to the Old Testament. And so this is forming everything they thought. Whenever Paul is writing about communion, 1 Corinthians, he is, he is also channeling not just Jesus, but he is thinking about Passover. When Jesus talks about it and changes the script, he is thinking about that original Passover. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from slavery. We got this? Got it? Okay. No matter how you grew up, if you grew up Baptist, if you grew up Catholic, if you grew up Church of God, if you grew up Jewish, this whole idea of Passover should be important. This idea of communion has something to do with you. Even in uh, celebrating a Passover night today, if you sat at a, cedar ma- a Seder meal, 
um, which we sh- you should do uh, if you get a chance to do it with a Messianic rabbi or, or um, if I ever get the courage to try to do it myself. I just don't know the Hebrew well enough to say it. But um, it's this beautiful, beautiful thing that happens. And you drink four different cups of, um, in Church of God, it'd be grape juice. Um, but if you go to a different church, you could drink four cups of wine. Um, and you have this whole meal and everything has the symbols of, of coming out and uh, the, the escape and flight into the desert. But communion is always an important act of being a Christian. And communion is always an important act of being a Christian. It doesn't matter what tradition you come from. Communion is always an important act of being Christian. Communion was the same from about 400 A.D. until the 1500s uh, A.D., under the Catholic Church, communion was always this, interpreted the same way, looked look the same way. And then the reformers came along and said, wait, well, things are different. But nevertheless, communion is always important act of being a Christian. Why? Because it's remembering that Christ has redeemed us from our past, set us free from the slavery of whatever we found ourselves, whatever bondage we found ourselves in. Now, the varying levels of what happens when you take communion in the Catholic Church is dramatically different than what happens in our church. And we're going to get into that in just a second and a little bit later. Um, so it's, it's, it's a different idea. So um, going along with that Reformation thought, <clears throat> up until the Reformation, the 1500s, the whole idea of the church service was taking of communion. Why it's in every Catholic service at some point. It was the main thing. It's a sacrament, so grace is given into, in this moment. <clears throat> so if I'm going to participate, the people of my church are going to participate in the grace of God. They need to have forgiveness of sins, and they're going to get it by taking part of communion. And so, and then they're going to get sent on mission. I'm going to finish the liturgy of mass. They're going to be sent into their daily lives, whatever they're doing. They also, probably being the Middle Ages, can't read. So I'm going to go very strict down a liturgy so everyone feels the, <clears throat> the rhythm of the day. I'm going to paint some beautiful frescoes on the side of my church. So even though they can't read, they can watch and go, that's pretty cool. That guy's walking on water. I want to look out for him. That guy is feeding this guy. I want to look at the. They're telling the story through art. Okay, so that's why if you go to ever get the chance to go to Italy to some of the beautiful old churches, oh, everywhere there's these gorgeous, gorgeous paintings, and they're telling the stories of the Gospels over and over and over again. And uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. And you wonder, whoa, man, they wasted a lot of money. Well, but at that same time, they're telling people aren't, they don't have access to the Bible. The Gutenberg uh, Bible printing press there's one Bible in a town, and it's under a chain on the pulpit. You can't just go up to him. Oh, let me Googleify that real quick. What did Jesus say in Luke? You can't do that. And so the dissemination of the gospel has to, is done in these beautiful paintings. When you come in to get God's grace, the communion, you also are surrounded by the story of God. This is how that works for 1,500 years. We live in a different time period where we have access in collective Bible usage or Bibles that we have in this, in this room is actually greater than probably all of Europe until after the printing press is made. If we looked at our phones and we got them out, we have more access to Bible in these hundred people that are sitting right here than there was in all of Europe. Think about that. And, so, yeah, and they're like, 
You should feel a little guilty about not reading the word. I'm just I'm going to be plainly honest. You should be a little worried, a little, a little guilty about that. But communion has always been important of being a Christian. So what you have at the Reformation is you got a guy like, like Martin Luther, who's looking at the way in which communion's being delved. And Luther's getting more and more into the Bible. And he's looking at the way in which the sacraments get being given and going, you know what? I don't think, according to Scripture, that communion actually gives grace. And I have a, and so he's, he's looking at it and he just starts to feel this angst. And it's really about the, the administering of communion that starts what the Reformation uh, is about, this, this splitting away from the Catholic Church to think grace isn't given at communion, it's given by God. It can't be something that I'm doing that's earning grace. It's got to be God giving the grace over. And so what happens is the split between the church. Now there's all kinds of wars and all kinds of things come from that. But what it really is is trying to figure out what communion is really all about. And so what you have is, um, and why I'm preaching to you today, is actually because of this fight over communion. Because in the Reformation, the Reformation churches all the split off of that. Instead of communion being the main thing, the sermon, the homily became the main thing. Because the idea was to convince, to teach, to uh, convey the truths of the Bible so that you would be able to live that out. And that you would come into a knowledge of saving grace with Jesus, not because of communion. And so you have Martin Luther to thank that you have to sit through messages. Um, because in response to that, actually, the Catholic Church said, well, we got to teach people how, why we believe the way we believe. And so the homily is introduced uh, as response to the Reformation to say, oh, well, we got to have preaching too. And so you go back and forth with all this preaching. People are like, man, I used to be able to get out of church in 15 minutes. Now we got to wait here. Be the lasted line at Sizzler. Come on, man. Um, <laughs> we don't even have a Sizzler. I don't even know where that came from. <laughs> I haven't seen a Sizzler in 25 years. Um, <laughs> communion is always about the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. Communion is always about, it doesn't matter if you're Catholic or, or uh, Lutheran or Church of God, communion is always about the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. Once again, you cannot overstate the importance of the Passover to our interpretation of what communion is. One of the, uh, I can't remember who it was, uh, one of the, one of the saints actually, um, wrote, to receive communion is to receive Christ himself who has offered himself for us. And this is a beautiful thought. So for Catholic thought, <clears throat> I believe in transubstantiation. That's a big $3 word. You don't need to remember it. Okay. That's why I don't even put it on the there. Some of you spellers are like, I want to write it down. <laughs> transubstantiation. I can't even say it right. Um, and so what they, what, what Catholic thought is, is that um, when you actually, actually, when if you ever noticed, you wondered why the bells are ringing uh, right before communion. Is that's when um, the body, the the wafer and the wine is actually turning into the body and the blood of Christ. Okay, so it's it's, it's switching, and so you are actually consuming the body and blood of Christ. Very weird. If you think about, like, you start talking about that. Early Christians were actually accused. Um, people who didn't understand early Christians were accused of cannibalism. 
And that was one of the things that Romans brought to them to put them, burn them at the stake. It's like, you're eating people. No, it's communion. It's not what it's about. So there was actually that kind of mis- miscommunication going on. But that we actually are consuming the body and the blood of Christ. Now, we, don't, we hold that it's a memorial service for remembering what Christ did. That's what the Church of God position is. It's drastically different than uh, the Catholic position. The same thing holds true. I can read this by Christensen, John Christensen, pulled that out, to, is, uh, to receive communion is to receive Christ himself who has offered himself for us. Think about that. That is beautiful. If I come with the attitude to communion as I am receiving Christ who offered himself for us, to take communion as I'm receiving Christ into myself. That is, we lose that because we do it once a month. It's an add-on at the end of service. Right? Now I'm, I'm indicting myself as much as I'm indicting you guys because I'm leading this, but we just, oh yeah, we did a communion. But this idea of, wow, we're taking Christ into ourselves. We were remembering everything that he has done for us. That we should, this should be weighty. This is not something to be hurried. And it's something we can learn from our, our Catholic brothers and sisters to say, this is the main thing. That we remember what Christ has done for us, that he has set us free out of bondage and out of slavery. Communion is always, always about reconciling man to God. It's what it's about. It's what it was about in Passover, that people are going to be set free to be, be God's chosen people. It's what it's about when Jesus says, I'm going to, I am the body or the blood and, and, um, and, the, and the bread. It's about reconciling this relationship. Communion is always about this. John Paul II. You guys did not think you're going to hear a, a pope be quoted today, did you? Um, he said, and I love this idea. When he, he's specifically talking about um, this idea of um, the unleavened bread being broken and, and eaten at, at in service. Is that communion without confession is like feeding a dead man. Communion without confession is like feeding a dead man. I thought, oh, that's good stuff. Because here's the deal. In a Catholic church, you're really supposed to go to confession and, and, and do the whole confession thing. I don't know how that works. I don't take confession. I'll listen to you. Um, but I, I really, I don't know how that whole thing works. I don't have a screen anywhere hidden around here. Um, I, when I was in Italy, I really wanted to go in them just to see what's going on. And I was so scared there'd be a priest sitting on the other side. I'm like, I'm sorry. Uh, so... Sorry that you guys get to see the inside of my brain sometime. Um, But communion is always about reconciling man to God. And so the idea is you're really supposed to go to confession before you take communion because you're supposed to confess your sins and then you get the grace through communion to cover those sins and then you're covered and you're good to go. That's how this is. If you're mad at me, I mean, this is very bare bones elementary stuff. I know there's more to it than all these things, but that's that's Catholic thought. We say, you know what? I don't need to go to the pastor to confess my sins. I have a direct access to God. I can ask for forgiveness um, by myself. I don't need, need Jared on this, okay? I don't need a pastor to, to do those things. So I don't need to set with that. But you do, as you take part in communion, need to self-examine and go, I got to get rid of the sin in my life. God, I need to ask for forgiveness of this stuff. As you take it, as you remember it. Because that's scriptural. It's also in the Passover, 
We talk a lot about the blood of Christ being shed, the blood of the lamb being put on the doorpost. But where in the world does the bread come from? I'm glad you asked that question because it's a great question. The question is, God says, I want you to take unleavened bread and you're going to eat it along with that lamb that you sacrificed. And where that comes from is I don't want any yeast in your house. And so to this day, if you celebrate a Passover, you go over to a Jewish person, a Messianic Jew or a Jewish person's house, you're honored with going to a Seder meal or on Passover week. With Seder meal is just this, the Passover meal. Okay? You will have known, or they, might even, they will have a point in the, in the meal in which the kids will get up with tweezers and look around for any yeast, any mildew, any, any mold, and pick it up with tweezers and get it out of the house. And as an example for what they were supposed to do that night in Passover, get any of this unwholesome stuff out of your house. Because what is yeast? It's bacteria. Get it all out of the house. And that is an object lesson, a, a, an old, old, old object lesson of get any of this nasty stuff out of your system. And so when we eat unleavened bread, we're like, why are we eating this stale, nasty, dry cracker? There's a reason, okay? Because... You're looking at it and getting any unwholesome thing out of your life. Does this make sense? And so we put so much emphasis on the blood of Christ being poured and covering our sins and washing us white as snow. I got all that. We have songs to sing about that. Everyone forgets about the bread because nobody wants to do the reflective work to say, I got to get junk out of my own life, Paul. Right? No one wants to do that part. I got introspective. I don't want to. I just want the grace. I don't want to change anything. I just want the forgiveness. I don't want to change my life. But what it's all about is being set free of the bondage. And what does that look like? It's getting rid of the junk in our life, but also stepping in to the freedom that Christ provides. And that's what communion is all about. That's why we take my body broken for you. And that's why we take my blood poured out for you. Does this make sense? Give me a head rattle if it makes sense. Okay. Um, good, good, good. I got lots of head rattles. There's, I could hear knocking. It was great. Um, we're going to take communion this morning. But before we do that, we need to search our own house. Right? We need to take a moment to search our own house. Is there any impurities? Is there any stuff in there that we need to ask for forgiveness for? And so the ushers are going to come forward. And we're gonna, they're going to serve the communion out to you all. And you can hold on to um, it for a while, whatever you want to do. But as we, we hold the elements of um, the grape juice and the cracker, and as we take communion, as we step into that this morning, we think, God, search me. Is there any imperfections? Is there any stuff? Is there any any junk that I'm holding on to that you want to remove from my life that I need to take action to remove my life. And so as we take these, as, as we're going to play a, a song, This I Believe, um, it's got, you got over four minutes to think. Um, and if you want to sit here longer, I'm going to dismiss. But if you want to sit here longer and reflect more, you are more than welcome. Because we don't want to make this a rote thing. We don't want to make this something we just got through. We want it to be something where we truly reflect on the sacrifice of Christ, that he paid a price for our freedom. And also, God, is there anything in me that is keeping me from you? Because your body is broken for me. And you paid for these sins. 
Let me get them out of my life, get them out of my house, get them out of my being. And for those that we can't physically do on our own, we, we take the blood of Christ and he washes it away because he is more prepared and powerful enough to take away anything that we're not able to get over ourselves. We practice open communion here at the church, which is a big difference between us and the Catholic Church. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are more than welcome to take communion with us today, which is different than the Catholic Church um, because you have to be an active Catholic to be able to take uh, take communion. If you've ever been at a a wedding or funeral, you're like, "I I I didn't get to participate. They just do it differently than us. We practice open communion in that because we want everyone to have access to this. Uh, everyone to, to take part into what God is doing in their life. Um, that doesn't mean we to take it any less seriously. And so as your pastor, in, in studying this, I was very convicted in that maybe we've made communion too rote and made communion too, uh, too much of a, a to-do list instead of um, holding it in the esteem that we should. And so that's something I'm going to be working on, and I hope that you can work on as well. So I hope today, as we've talked about Passover, as we've talked about communion, we've set communion maybe in a new light. Maybe some things make sense to you now that maybe never have before. But as we play this next song, as we think about it, let's examine ourselves. And I'm not going to tell you when to take a communion. Sometime on your own, when you feel that you've, you're in a place that you can take communion, that you're okay to do that, I want you to take it on your own as a reflection of what you've learned, of what you've thought about. This is Christ's body broken for you and his blood poured out for you, that he is redeeming you and setting you free, that we are no longer in bondage. We are no longer in slavery, but we are set free indeed. That is what communion is about. And that's what we get to participate in today. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. And thank you for these elements. Thank you for this ancient object lesson. Oh, we thank you and we are blessed and we are honored by it. Thank you for giving it to us. Lord, if there's any impurity in us, please remove it at this time. You call to our attention and our minds what we need to change, what behaviors need to alter so we come closer in contact with you. Thank you for paying the ultimate price for our sins and setting us free. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.